Hello and welcome back to episode 26 of Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. This week I'm joined by Tom Edwards, Don Carmichael and very happy to welcome special guest Denise Quinlan. Welcome everybody. Fantastic to be here. Hello. So this week we're talking about who cares about personal branding? Well, Denise, you're definitely someone that cares about personal branding. You've got an entire business focused on such things. So uh, everybody knows who Don, Tom and and I are, uh, but why don't you give a bit of an introduction to yourself for the listeners? Yeah, well, thank you, Mark. Thank you for hosting me on here. It's great to be here. So my name is Denise Quinlan. I'm the founder of Insightful Images. And essentially, I work with uh, individuals, business leaders and small businesses, usually under 10 employees down to kind of sole traders who are fantastic at what they do, but realise the need to articulate more clearly the impact they bring to their target audience. So I call myself a USP hunter with a visual twist. So I work with people um, to find their USPs, um, but ones that are specific to the target audience and the problems that their target audience have. And whether that's in, that's then manifested in a written format, um, visually, in sound, or whatever by whatever mechanism, whether you're showing up in person, art is the content. Oh, it's jargony already, isn't it? Is what you're saying relevant and interesting, in short? It's fine. We love a bit of jargon. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's how the IT industry um, has kept itself alive for years, so I wouldn't worry. Um, well, that's excellent. A USP hunter. That's mm. excellent. I, I almost imagine you going going around with a little hunting jacket. And so what are the tools that you use to do this USP hunting? Or what even, what are the tools that people use themselves? Obviously, you said LinkedIn is a mainstay of people's branding. But what else can people use to communicate with the outside world about their their USP? The interesting thing is the the hardest person to market is yourself. Okay, so often what happens is, um, and actually even the top marketeers agree that the hardest person to market themselves is because you're so close to um, your experiences, um, uh, your abilities, your skills that you our natural assumption as a human is to think that everybody else has those skills and abilities or perhaps not those abilities. So um, it's very hard to step outside your own shoes and actually see the differences you bring. So whether you, it's your background, your your cultural background that you bring uh, that's of interest or that insight through, you know, if you've career changed or you've done a number of different things during your life, even as a kind of child, teenager, kid, those, you know, the fact that you played loads of music as a young thing or, you know, you got stuck in the garden, you were gardening or whatever it is, you bring, everybody brings something different and they are unique in that combination of different events. Um, so that's that's one of the first things um, I'd point out. Yeah. I, it, I was just going to say, I read one of your articles, actually, which I totally recommend people do. Go on LinkedIn and have a look at your articles. And it was you had a great analogy there, which was about um, you don't know what the label is on the bottle because you're inside the bottle. It was something like that. And I yeah. thought, that, that's so I visual. Like that. I completely get that. Yeah. It's hard to read the label when you're inside the bottle. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and and so um, we're, we're, we're talking about a person's USP. And I know that you work with great some great businesses some small business owners and um 
they obviously have to promote both themselves as a as, as a leader of that organization or of that business or of that brand they are a brand to a brand but you also have to think about the marketing of those companies so where do you think people uh, need to put the effort in or where where do you see people and you think they're not they could put more effort into their personal brand versus their corporate brand or should they not do anything with their personal brand because their corporate brand is what they should promote and who they are doesn't matter and just um i guess in a in a business context so if we're using linkedin with two pre mm. pre-sales in the pod typically the audience is going to be Potentially, it's got, you're going to have an internal. You know, if you're a large organisation, you're going to have an internal audience. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're, you're, uh, you're an employee of one. Okay, you're, you're just one person in the organisation. Then typically, it's going to be your influencers and your target your target clients who who are going to do, you know the the mirror the reflection of um, what you want to put out about yourself. So. So you, of course, even if you're an individual, um, you will have you may be partnering with different organisations or groups. So you're always going to probably have two different audiences to think about, whether um, in the business context. Okay. Um, so, I mean, if you say personal branding, I mean, what is it about you that people want to hear or see about you? Okay. So. In short, personal branding is, you know, what is the, how do you show up in the world? Okay. Mm. So even if you're the most introvert of people, you are conveying something about yourself unconsciously, consciously or otherwise, essentially. Even if you're an extrovert, a super extrovert, um, similarly, you're showing up and you're giving signals as to who you are and all that, all those subtle things are part of your personal brand. So even, as I'm just thinking, if you're in um, a restaurant and you're not potentially very friendly to the waiting staff, that is part of your personal brand, okay? So whether you're showing up with a Sage t-shirt on or whether you're showing up as, you know, Mark, you know, on the weekend with your push bike, um, you know, that's just that's that's part of your personal brand, whether you're in work clothes or not, or whether you're facing your you know your target clients or not. So that personal brand is what people think of about you, really. Oh, and I think yeah, what you said there is so important about your audience. And I, if if we are talking about LinkedIn, your example, Mark, it it all depends who you want to be reading your LinkedIn. And I was thinking about this the other day where if you're in it, thinking in the pre-sales world, if you're an individual contributor, you want, you might want to be seen by your prospects, by your clients as having credibility around your expertise for, for your subject matter. Whereas if you're a hiring manager, for example, you might actually have a very, very different style of personal brand, mightn't you? Because you might not be in the field working directly with prospects. A big part of your role might be attracting and hiring the right talent. So it might be that you're trying to appeal to other individual contributors to come and join your team. Is is that something you see with 
sort of different people's yes, roles ab- having different ideas. Absolutely. There's there's usually going to be, as mentioned, there's going to be at least probably two audiences that you have. So it's determining which is the primary audience you're serving. Okay. So typically it's going to be your clients. Well, if you, typically it's, yeah, well, <laughs> most of the people I work with, it's their clients who is their, who are the kind of first and foremost. Um, so even if you're you know, currently looking for work in your LinkedIn profile, I mean, LinkedIn profiles, in my view, shouldn't be a CV. It's a very different beast. So I often, <laughs> I've just been working with some non-exec directors writing their LinkedIn profiles. In my, um, my the process I work with is um, a four-step process. So you're looking at your USPs, but of course it's USPs in context of who your target audience is, as we've just been talking about. Um, so the last, <laughs> for me, the last thing I, I would want to read on a LinkedIn profile is it's all about you and how fantastic you are and all the amazing things you've done without any context of who you're trying to. If you're looking for a new job, then that's probably, you know, that's kind of arguably that's 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 um, that's OK. But if you're, for example, to give an example, if you're a salesperson, I know what you most your audience are pre-sales but I'm sure you can relate to this if you're a salesperson and you've said in your LinkedIn profile that you've um, you know you've hit your targets every time you've uh, with x million delivered a customer is going to be reading that going okay great they're going to be taking as much money out of me as possible so that's not necessarily that's not a great message for them because they just see you know they just (laughs) they don't Feel there's going to be a positive relationship in there and they're going to get their best procurement team in to kind of make sure they get the you know <laughs> it's all going to be based on numbers rather than solution and you know something that's hopefully customer service wise is going to be fantastic so absolutely um uh, there's going to be um it's going to be looking at your target audience is is super important that context of who you're um appealing to number one typically your target audience but two it could be the internal people or influencers who you try who you're trying to reach and thirdly it could be recruiters but um typically linkedin is not the place for you know putting your cv up i would say in my experience and my opinion but that varies everyone's got a different view on that i was gonna say i think so many people have got that wrong then right now because Probably most people in our professional, you know, what they're trying to say is how successful they are and, you know, and actually what they need to put there to, you know, to uh, attract a a hiring manager. I had a particular question, though, which is that um, how do brands and value proposition kind of link together? Because, um, you know, a lot of us, we kind of go, oh, what you actually need to project is what you what value you bring, you know, what your value proposition is. But it sounds to me like brand is a lot bigger than that. You know, it's the, there's a subset, which is value proposition, but you're talking about something that's much bigger, more mm-hmm. all encompassing. Is it is that right or have I, have I got that wrong? Well, I, I think I'd answer it this way in that whoever you're writing for, whoever you're trying to appeal to, whether it's influencers, whether it's recruiters, whether it's um, people with a technical problem, literally what I'd say you, you want to do is actually write to what their problems are, okay? 
So because you're then going to get their attention because they're not going to be reading unless they're really short for things to do, which arguably during lockdown could have been uh, could be a good a good point. <laughs> unless they're super short of things to do, why are they reading LinkedIn? Okay, why are they reading a newspaper? Why are they read you know why are they reading where you're showing up or you know why are they watching you know the YouTube video or whatever it is? So the thing about the brand, it's almost yes, USPs are good, but first and foremost, it actually needs to be what is the problem your target audience have okay so from a recruitment point of view what is the what is the problem they have they need to get more sales okay so how can you help them get more sales okay if you've got a potential prospect who um, is having a nightmare with their crm system you know they keep losing their customers they keep going elsewhere that's the problem that's actually first and foremost what you need to identify what the problem is but then you write and position yourself according to that um does that make sense no that really does and i wrote that down for the actionable insights later because that's fantastic uh what is the problem that the target audience has and try to fix that and you see a lot of people sharing success stories with their customers and they are proud of the work that their company has done for customers so that's that's that can help there but then i i have seen as well people that only ever share posts that have been posted by their company and so they are then devaluing perhaps their own opinion versus and just letting whoever they work for just letting that be the mm. be their brand and mm. i think you can i think you, you can balance it i quite like doing two for me two for the company so not everything is sage uh, but some of them are sage related, um, but some of them are more about the fact that I like helping people and there's great ways to describe products and communicate with people. And mm. so those are the ones that I like. Yeah, great. And that's reasons a really uh, interesting point that back in the pre-internet days, which I know is going back a while now, it you could be belong to a company and literally, you know, if we talk about somewhere like Oracle, you could literally be a cog in the machine that nobody would ever see, apart from perhaps if you're out on the road seeing clients or customers. Um, otherwise, you were just under the big red banner. You you weren't an individual as such. You know, you were part of the, you know, the team, the worldwide team. Whereas that is the curious thing about social media is that yes, you can be in a big organization, but you can now have your own personality and that can be out there in the world where that wasn't possible before. So absolutely, there are people who obviously uh, are doing that, but there are some people who are still um, probably reticent to sh show up and there may be all sorts of reasons for that. Um, and I guess... <laughs> People have got to be comfortable with what they're what they're doing and where they're showing up. So I wouldn't negate that point. But it's a very different beast from if you've got no profile photo, if you've got nothing on your LinkedIn, you know, is is some ways. Do you exist? <laughs> yeah. I think could we that is brilliant that you brought up profile photos because I was hoping we could kind of go on to, you know, the visual side of it, because um you know, pre-sales people are kind of technical. I mean, you've been in Oracle, so you know, pre-sales people's solution consultant, sales consultant. So, you know, primarily come from a technical background and some people are kind of 
probably more um, or less comfortable than maybe salespeople are with things like, you know, having a, you know, having a good kind of visual image, you know, a good uh, kind of profile. And and actually across the globe, the, there are, you know, different cultures will have arguments about how important that actually is. And, you know, you'll see people go, oh, you should never have a photo in an email or should you have a photo on a CV? And there are lots of uh, profiles that I see. You know, I try to connect to a lot of people, network with a lot of people. And there's still lots of people who won't, don't want to have a photograph. What, what, what how do you... Because that, you know, you, you make very important points in your articles about, you know, what is it? Something like two thirds of your brain is actually about visual processing and how important the visuals are. But we, mm. what's your perspective on that? Um, okay, I know. Interestingly, you talk about culturally. So CVs, obviously, somewhere like Germany, it's in certain countries, it's accepted, and it's and it's almost unusual not to take it, put the photograph in with your, you know, job application or your CV. Obviously, in the UK, for um, legal reasons um it seemed potentially it could be discriminating so you don't usually it's unusual to have a photograph with an application but of course headhunters and so forth and hiring teams can look at your linkedin profile so um they're gonna find so the, the, the one of the good reasons to have a profile photo is is if it's put, it is a head and shoulders shot so literally we can see the whites of the eyes because if you can see the whites of the eyes and the eyes are sharp and in focus people can start establishing rapport and trust with you. And that's the point of having a profile photo. So subconsciously, the brain in the first impressions are formed within a tenth of a second, which is a blink of an eye. So what the brain, 30% of the brain, uh, brain's neurons are devoted to the sense of sight, which is the highest proportion of any of the senses. And that is because um, it helps us work out whether we need to run or not, you know, flight or fight. It works out whether or not, uh, you know, so we can find food and live from day to day. And it works out whether or not we can find a mate. So to continue the species. So it's pretty basic as to why so much of the brain is devoted to things visual. So um, subconsciously, the brain is looking for the whites of the eyes to work out whether you can trust somebody or not. So, you know, we all know if somebody's wearing sunglasses in a room and it's in, you know, indoors, it seems a little bit unusual and you can't literally connect with the person's eyes. So it's very difficult that, you know, it's the usual thing. The rich and famous wearing sunglasses, they don't want to be seen because they don't want to connect with people and engage with people. Um, so in a profile photo, definitely recommend not wearing sunglasses because people can't connect with you. But it, it literally is the way that people can establish trust. And um, as Airbnb used to state on their sign-up forms, um, anonymity, they believe, erodes trust. If we can't see the whites of the eyes, we can't make that first mm. leap of faith subconsciously to work out whether we can trust you or not. And the, the very interesting thing is the brain is fantastic. Um, it doesn't matter whether you meet face-to-face -face or whether you see somebody in a video or a pro still profile photo. The brain is still working out whether we need to run or not or whether we can actually trust trust them so the wow. brain is amazingly powerful so i absolutely recommend having a profile photo unless of course you're in the kind of high security mi5 role but even they've got a instagram account now so <laughs> so arguably we've got no excuse but to put photos on my life <laughs> well i must admit i did just go and double check my uh, linkedin profile photo and uh, and I can see the whites of my eyes in my photo, photo so I'm okay. Fantastic. <laughs> this is okay. <laughs> I also, you know, it's uh, it's really good to see your back your uh, 
the background photo, the yeah. header photo at the top. Immediately when, when I look at that, and for the listeners at home um, who can't see it, it is a collection of images with people, they're communicating, they're talking, they're predominantly happy or certainly interested, smiling, they're active, it's very colourful, it's a business setting but not super formal and it immediately captures so much about the way that you see the world and what you provide to the people that you interact with, Denise. That's, it's, uh, I mean, I know it's your job to be good at that bit, but that's really good. Yeah. Oh, it's really nice to see. Should I share with you another um, interesting neuroscience fact that plays well to this? Essentially, this, um, if you see shapes in clouds, approximately 60% of the population are able to see faces in things. Okay. So um, things in clouds is a, is a key one, but that's actually a psychological phenomenon called pareidolia. Okay, so again, this comes down to survival. Well, it's thought that the, the reason for this is for survival again. So the, our brain subconsciously is looking for faces because if we see a face, imagine you're on the savannah, hot day, you're by yourself, tall grass, your head your brain is looking for a face potentially a lion's face or a you know a human face because if um you need to work out whether you need to run fairly promptly or not again it's back to this trust and whites the eyes um so um what happens if you put a face on a page and this is a really good tip for those of you who've got your own businesses um uh, or who may have their own businesses on the side of your pre-sales job is um on your website's um, is to put, you know, whether you've got testimonials, is to put the face of the person who's given the testimonial or to put your own face. Because it's almost like um, having a face there, the pareidolia effect kicks in. And that it's almost like a Belisha beacon. I don't know if that's translation. But our faith, our brain, our head is drawn to faces for the majority of people. So, again, a subconscious thing that can be happening. So, for example, in the example of a testimonial, where you've got the person, the face of the person who's given that testimonial, testimonial the reader's eyes will be drawn to that face which is almost like a subliminal arrow saying have a look at this text that we've got here okay so using a face in a document um, or even if you're doing proposals absolutely you typically have a team page yeah who are the team and that's really important and it's it's useful that those photos are um, professional and appropriate um, and it's not necessarily you mowing the lawn in your shorts or on the beach. Well, depending if you're working for a beach holiday, you know, uh, kind of, there goes holiday, my that's standard proposal method. <laughs> yeah. Then, I, you know, that's giving lots of visual clues. But having faces in that humanizes it. OK, yeah. I'll just go add in there because I think I've read something about this before, because um, was it cars? Car designers are acutely aware of this. You know, the headlamps and the grill is a kind of face. But the other thing that someone showed, I showed me a couple of pictures of dashboards. Because what I didn't realize is that the way steering wheels and the dials and, um, and, you know, if you look at the bottom of a steering wheel, is they're trying to create a happy face. And I'd never, I was, you know, I was completely unaware of that at all until someone pointed that out. And, you know, possibly at a subliminal level, we obviously that made me appeal yeah. to that car. But I had no yeah, yeah. idea that it, it was actually working on that level. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So even I remember actually some of the um, in the 
pre-sales document, you know, pre-sales doc, well, kind of tender response documents. If you're even doing um, in government, for example, if you're providing a system that has end users who are, you know, for example, Joe Public, put examples of those photos of those people because it just means so much more and people that you get that human, um, you know, that that's who we're dealing with at the end of the day. So this is for people. Yes, it's a system and it's amazingly technical um, and fantastic. But who are you serving? So you've got the customers, you've got people on within the companies or organisations who are going to be using that. So remember, to put, it makes it gives a good impression that you know that people are at the core of this, even though there's fantastic technology in there as well. And I think a, a bit of a tangent to that as well is we often talk about sort of demo skills in the pre-sales world. One of the big ones is to have your video on when you're on a video call. Uh, I know that Zoom did a survey a little while ago, and I think this is absolutely aligned to what you were saying, Denise, with profile pictures. Um, they found that 82% of their respondents say that there's a greater sense of trust when they're having a video call rather than a phone call. And 91% say that there's greater engagement, presumably because right. you can't hide, you can't get distracted. And also you can see if people are sort of losing, <laughs> losing yeah. to live, listen to you, listening to your demo. Absolutely. It's that body language thing, isn't it? There's the worst, the hardest audience to present to is one you can't see because you're getting absolutely no feedback as to whether this is interesting them or not. Do you want to actually go further or do you want to move away from this topic because it's obviously not of, of interest? So, it, you know, seeing people, you know, audio only is very challenging for sure. It is. Well, I mean, we're coming up with some proper, proper good tips here. It almost sounds like it's actionable insight time um, and uh, everyone will be ever so disappointed if they missed out on that. So in that case, um, we will go round the room with uh, actionable insights, little tips and tricks that people can take away for about personal branding. Um, so who wants to go first? Dive in. Hey, I was just going to borrow what I was going to borrow what Denise has done. I was going to borrow what Denise said there about you know about the the profile pictures and actually being able to see your eyes because the, there's so many people in our industry. Their profile picture is them maybe standing on stage because they're trying to do a thing about branding about hey look I'm a great communicator but it's not working. It's not working at all. Mm. You know people want to see your face and the the eyes thing was the most important thing. I, I thought that was brilliant. Mm. I guess my one, my takeaway from this episode was, I mean, it might sound obvious, but putting photos of a team on a proposal, I, I see it all over the place when that doesn't actually happen. It might only be 50% of the time of a lot of the ones that I've seen. And I've, I think I've never really given that enough thought before. So me personally, I think that's a huge takeaway because it makes so much more sense. Um, I've actually got a 10 profile mistakes available if people want to uh, mm. have a look at that, which actually, right. yeah, um, Don, to your point, if you're stood up, essentially a circle on LinkedIn, that is perfect for a head and shoulder shot. If you're stood up, um, you know, kind of full body shot, we're not going to be able to see the whites of the eyes for sure. And that does include presenting. But the LinkedIn background image is perfect if you're going to be, uh, you know, if you want to show that you've got authority and credibility and people like to hear you speak then that's perfect uh, to put that image as the background rather than the actual headshot image. So definitely a secondary image rather than the primary image. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, well, that's fantastic. We've had three. I would probably say that my actionable in insight is um, 
is that if you're not curating the way the world looks at you, they're going to be looking at you, even if your LinkedIn profile doesn't have a photo, doesn't have a, a header image, doesn't have much text on it. People are going to search for you these days because they're not going to meet you properly otherwise. So people do do it. And if you don't take the opportunity to remember that and therefore go and put on a decent image and write things in a way that doesn't make them feel like they're buying your next Ferrari, um, then you're missing a trick. And so well worth doing it. Well, Denise, it's been an absolute honour to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us on Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. My Tom, pleasure. Tom, as ever, and Don, always, it's wonderful to see you as well. Looking forward to the next episode next week, so make sure everyone tunes in. And with that, I will thank all our listeners and our guests. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.